Praise the name of the Lord. We serve a worthy king. Amen. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. St. Corinthians chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are all known to God, and I also trust are well known in your conscience. Father, we thank you so much for your word that is truth. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your presence that is here. We thank you for the beautiful reminders that we get from your word, Lord God, that you are worthy of it all. That in the midst of whatever we may be facing in our lives, Lord God, you are there and there is constant and continual worship that is bombarding your throne. There are prayers from the saints on earth that are coming before your presence as, as incense rising before you, Lord God. Help us to be reminded of this reality continually, dear Lord. And this morning, Lord, as we look into your word, help us to hear what you are saying to your church. May you be glorified. May I decrease and may you increase. May you speak to us, Lord God, and may we respond to you in faith as the Apostle Paul writes to us that we would make it our aim to please you in all things, God. We pray this in the good name of Jesus. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, if you would, just raise your hand. If you don't have an outline, just keep your hand up for a moment. The ushers will make sure that you get one. It is, it is important for me that you have an outline. First of all, if you have an outline, you can follow along with me in the beginning of the sermon. That's important. Secondly, not only can you follow along in the beginning of the sermon, but you can take notes throughout the sermon, which I think is important. There's a few questions inside of the outline for you, like what do you believe the Lord was speaking to you? Um, how are you going to apply that? And the last thing that I say is that it's really important for me that we don't be just hearers of the word, that we're not just people that hear what God is saying, but that we are people that do what God is saying. And God calls all of us, as we should know by now, to make disciples. Amen? And part of making disciples means that you sit with someone, that you, you know, you break bread with someone, you help someone grow in their relationship with the Lord. And one of the ways that you and I can do this is, is simply by you taking what I am speaking in the, you know, on the Sunday mornings and just sitting down with someone and communicating with, through, with them throughout the week what it is that you have been learning. If you need a pen, you can raise your hand as well. We'll hook you up with a pen. Angel will get that pen back from you at the end of the service, though. He will chase you down. Amen. I'm just kidding, but if you, if you, but he will look at you funny. Um, so it, make sure you keep your hand up if you need a pen there. You can do that. And so for those of you that are that have the outlines already, let's go ahead and look at this. We are dealing with our core four series. We're continuing on. This is the tenth message of a total of sixteen, and so we are in the third one here of our of of, of, of the core four, which we just said a little while ago, which is loving God, growing together, reaching others. And so we're talking about reaching others. And so this one is the second one in the reaching others 
others portion. Last week we talked about why reach others, like what was the foundational reason for reaching others. And I hope for those of you that were able to hear the message that your heart was stirred, that you were convicted. I pray that it, that, that it did something to you throughout your week and that you weren't just like hearing it and like, ah, oh, you know, whatever, but that you went home and that something happened inside of your heart and that you're still carrying that conviction with you. And so I hope to build upon that this week as we continue on here and we're dealing with this message. And so in the last message, if you look at your outline here, we'll just kind of remind what we went through. In the last message, we established that we have been sent as image bearers into the world to represent a sent and sending Savior. And so we realized Jesus was sent, and he said to his disciples, I send you as the Father has sent me. We realize that gospel mission is to be a way of life of disciples of Jesus. And so it's not supposed to be something that, you know, we just do once in a while when you hear a message that motivates you. But being on mission, you live your life on mission every day. I want you to realize this. Hear me when I say this. When you wake up every morning, the fact that God allowed you to breathe another breath means that his mission is still supposed to to be accomplished through you. Are you here? Amen. How do you know you're on mission? Well, you woke up today. Amen. Amen. The day you stop breathing is the day that you are no longer on mission. In other words, that means that the idea of retirement and the sense of, you know, I'm just going to go play golf for the rest of my life. Hello, somebody. I know some of y'all are looking forward to those days. But here's the thing. I'm not saying you can't stop doing certain stuff, and I'm not saying you're going to be as active as you were, but you want to know what? You are still on mission. Amen. And so it's something that we have to realize. And so it should be a way of life. It should be something that we get up in the mornings and we're praying and saying, God, lead me today that I may bring you glory. Lead me today to that person that needs you. Direct me so I can be sensitive and I can, and I can be open to your spirit so that way I can be a person who is used by you to bring others into the saving knowledge of who you are. And the last thing was that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so we learned that last week, right? We looked at those, those things here. And so today, we will build upon that foundation looking at, at three realities. The assurance of our resurrection, the anticipation of our rewards, and focusing upon our reconciliation to God and the ministry we have all been entrusted with. Say all. It's not just a few people. It's not just some of us. It's not like this half of the room is, you know, supposed to be ambassadors of Christ and this half is, is, is off the, you know, they, they don't have to worry about it. No, no. Every one of us has been given this amazing responsibility to be ministers of reconciliation. Oh, well, Bishop, I never went to Bible college. That isn't, that isn't what the Bible said. The Bible didn't say, yeah, I got to go to Bible college in order for you to be. No. It said, that, it said that we are we have been given this message. We have been entrusted. Now, here's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing is that you are in a church, right, that does what? That trains you on how to evangelize. Amen? Amen. We teach you how to share your faith in a way that should be, you know, direct. It should keep people focused, not just on their needs, but on what? On the real need that they have spiritually, which is their relationship with God. And so ultimately, what we find here is that we're going to focus on that. But there's three things that we see there. And so we'll look at those a little bit further in a moment. But as followers of Christ, third paragraph here, as followers of Christ, there must be an urgency in our hearts with regards to the condition of the world around us. So the reason why last week's message was so stirring in my heart is because I hope, and, and I'm coming to this realization, I want you to know this, we should be concerned about the condition of our culture. Amen. And we should only be concerned around the election cycles. Amen, somebody? Yeah, that's right. Now listen, that doesn't mean not to vote. Hello. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be involved. That doesn't mean that you should just not participate. You should participate because hear what I'm saying. That is one way that you are able to be salt and light. Listen, don't let anybody lie to you. Your, your vote doesn't matter. It matters in heaven. Amen? It matters before God. And if we would all come together. See, the problem is that. I, let, me, let, let me get on my soap. I'm going to get on and I get off it. I'm going to get on my soapbox for a moment. If Christians would get together. Hello, somebody. And we would look at the Bible and we would see what the scriptures communicate. We would start voting in alignment with what? With the heart of God and stop voting in alignment with a specific political party. Amen, somebody. And we would start making change on that level because here's something that I learned. What I learned is that politics and government are downstream from the culture. What 
does that mean? That means this. That means that everything comes where? It comes from the upper place. You know, when you look at water and stuff like that, it comes from somewhere that is higher and it flows downstream, right? And so here's the thing you got to realize. We think that the government is the one that's running this. Can I tell you something? The reality is that if the people that are on this earth would vote in a righteous way, guess what we would have? Righteous leadership. This is the truth. The truth is we would have righteous leadership, but that's just one portion of our lives. And so what I'm saying is you should be, you should be concerned. Not so, can, I, can I tell you something? You want to you, you know how you get, you get more of a flow in the culture? You get more people saved. Hello. Amen. Are you hearing me? Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. The way that you change, you want to change politics? Hey, why don't you run for something? Uh-huh. Me? Yeah, you. Why don't you run for something? Why don't you pray and say, well, God, how can I be an influence, right? And consider that. But, but let me tell you something else. Why don't you begin praying, like the Bible says, for those people who are in leadership now? Hello, somebody. Like how much, like, you know what? Like, and, and I have to confess this to you. Like, I don't pray every single day for our leaders. I pray at least three times a week for our leaders. That's Monday morning, two, Wednesday morning, and Friday morning. When I pray with you guys on the 430 call, I definitely pray for our leaders. But here's the thing that I want you to get is that I know for sure, for me, a lot of times I complain more about stuff that I see than pray about stuff that I see. And for us as a people, if we want to see influence, listen, it's going to come out of a prayer class that's going to bring change where? Into the public square. But see, not just praying for them, but how about you start praying for your neighbors to get saved? How about you start praying for your coworkers to get saved? And how about you don't just pray for them? I love this. I was sitting at a table with a lady at a conference, and we were talking about, you know, obviously influencing the culture. And, you know, I said, man, we really need to pray. And one of the other people that, I didn't say that, um, one of the other people that was at the table was talking about the importance of prayer and the power of prayer. And I agreed. I'm like, amen. We really need to be a people that do pray. And I love what this one woman said. She said, well, we need to do more than just pray. And that sounds real bold, and that sounds real rude, and that sounds like, oh, but we're, yeah, we're supposed to do more than just pray. Because you can pray for people to be saved all day long, but if you never share the gospel with them, guess what's not going to happen? They're never going to hear the message that changes them. Paul never said, hey, man, just sit in your prayer closet, get real holy, get real on fire, yell at God for a little while for someone, raise their name before God for a while, and then one day they're going to wake up. That's not what Paul said. That's not, that, that, that's not an example in the scriptures. In the scriptures, it is what? It is a people that prayed, and then out of their prayer, boldness came upon their lives, and they went out and they proclaimed the gospel. They went out and they reached others. You know what the Bible says in the book of Acts? I love the scripture. I, I, I might be Acts chapter 10. Don't quote me on that. But it says this. It says, those who have turned the world upside down have come here. Y'all are going to sleep on me. Y'all don't even hear me. Y'all don't even hear me. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here. Can I tell you something? The same power that was resident and operative in their lives to turn their world upside down is resident and operative and available to us. But you know what? It's not just going to be from a prayer closet. You're going to have to come out the closet. Everyone else is. Just saying. Oh, yeah, get in your prayer closet. Pray hard. Pray passionately. Pray with all of your soul. Cry out to God. Lose your voice in prayer. But come out of that closet on fire for God. Come out of that closet with a, with a zeal for God. Come out of that closet with eyes that are focused, with eyes that are open, with a heart that is yielded. Come out of that closet and say, God, who can I impact with this gospel? That's what we need to be doing. We need to be people. We must, last, last half of that, that paragraph there, we must allow the Holy Spirit to fill us with the holy discontent that Bradhouse speaks of in community for those without God. That holy discontent, that's something inside of our hearts. And this is the big idea that we've been having for, that I said this is going to be the big idea for all four of these messages that I'm going to preach on reaching others. And it is this, is that we have been called into a relationship with God, reconciled through Christ, and are sent, empowered by the Holy Spirit for gospel mission. I'll say it one more time. We have been called into a relationship with God. This is the big idea I want you to get. Reconciled through Christ and are sent, empowered by the Holy Spirit for gospel mission <clears throat> that's that's that, that that's that's what I want to sink inside of our souls I want you to see that every week I want you to hear that every week it is that we we have been brought into a relationship with God but it wasn't just so we could just hang out with God and be cool with him God brought us in a relationship with him so that way we could do what so that way we could go out there and reach others with this message of the gospel
Say this with me. I have four points this morning instead of three. I normally have three, but I have four. <clears throat> trying to help us out. You know, we're going to this picnic. It's been raining, so I'm giving you a little bit of extra time. Amen? For the rain to go away and for things to dry up. So instead of preaching for an hour, I'll preach for an hour and a half. Amen. Glory to God. Y'all are excited about that. First thing, say this with me. We are given great assurances to live for as disciples of Jesus. We are given great assurances to live for as disciples of Jesus. Verses 1 through 10 that we read here, I will not read them again, but in the beginning of this, we see a few things here. And, and one thing is that, that we see is that we live in a tension of the here and now and the life to come. And what God does, and when Paul is talking about, you know, taking off this tent, putting on the next tent, talking about us groaning, he's talking about everything that goes on in our lives, the things that we're struggling with. And he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and to be, you know, at, and, and to be present, you know, in the body is to be absent from the Lord. And he's saying we long not, you know, to be further clothed. And so what Paul is saying is there's some Something that should be inside of you. Now hear me. One of the things that can really show you about your relationship with God is this. Is do you think about eternity? Do you, do, are you trying to accumulate everything? Now think about this. Are you trying to accumulate everything that is good here and now? Or are you considering the eternity to come? Are you just trying to have your best life now? Or are you looking forward to the future? See, because here's what happens. When you are born again, don't get it twisted, man. I love my family. I, you know, they, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be separated from them ever. But here's what I realize. What I do realize is that as good as this earth is, heaven is going to be greater. Eternity is going to be greater. Listen, some of you have some great lives. You got good jobs, you know, good family situations. Some of you are like, man, I'm pretty comfortable. For some of you, that's an issue. Bishop, how are you saying that's an issue? I'm not trying to say your life needs to be bad. I'm just saying that sometimes we get so comfortable in the here and the now that we forget about the eternity to come. And so we need to see this. And Paul is like, look, man, there is something that is greater. There is something that should be happening inside of us. See, others of us have difficult situations in our lives. Other, other, others of us are going through hardship. And we're like, man, I can't wait for eternity to come. We're like, yes, can the trumpet sound now, right now? I feel great at this moment. We had good worship. We had a good time in God's presence. I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm ready to be there forever. And some of us, we have those moments, right? We have moments that, like, sometimes, like, things are really great, and it's like, man, I want to be here. And then other times, things get rough. You're like, I want to go. And that's the tension that should be there. And Paul promises. He's, he's encouraging us, saying what? There's going to be a day of resurrection. We're looking forward to that. We groan. We wait for that day. So that's the first thing of encouragement here. The second thing is we also have great assurance that we will be rewarded. Now, you need to get this here, okay? Look, look at what it says here in verse 9. I'll read this over again. Verse 9, it says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we will all, listen to this, for we, will, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It didn't say some of us are going to appear here. It said we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to that which he has done, whether good or bad. Now, turn with me real quick because I want you to see this because the, the scripture talks about the judgment. Turn, turn to the book of Revelation. I know we're all over Revelation today. Glory to God. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Toward the end of the book, how things are going to end here. Revelation chapter 20. Let's look, look at verse 11 <clears throat> together. When you got it, say so. And it says here, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in, these, in, in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I want you to see, now, now, now that's not so exciting, right? Like the other scriptures we read earlier, those were like, yes, praise the Lord. This one's not like that. This one is sobering. It talks about a judgment seat. It talks about two, um, two types of books that are there. One book called the book of life. The other one, the book, I'll call it the book of works. 
It's the book of all of our works. And so here's the thing. Now, I don't know. Now, heaven is an amazing place. God is amazing because everything, say everything, everything we do, every idle word we speak, the Bible says, everything we do is being written down in these books. Mm -hmm. Not just some stuff, everything. There's no secret stuff. Some people think, well, nobody knows. Yeah, well, somebody knows. Somebody's writing it all down. I don't know. There's like an angel there next to you. He's like just. Looked like a court reporter. Oh, yep. No, whoa. Wow. Glory. Oh, Lord Jesus. Have mercy. Uh-huh. Getting excited about the good stuff we do. Listen, there's no private time. You are always before the searching eye of Almighty God. And the scripture says that we are all going to stand before his judge. Now, here's the thing that I want you to get. There's two types of people standing in this judgment. Those who are believers and those who are non-believers. Those whose names are written in the book of life and those whose names are not. And here's what I want you to get. The ones whose names are not written in the book of life, the scripture says they are cast into what? The lake of fire. That's what the scriptures say. That's not what I'm saying. And so here's the thing. You want to be sure your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And the only way that that happens is by you trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior, by you accepting the fact that he died on your behalf because you could not save yourself. You can do, listen, I know some of you think you're good. I want you to know you've been lied to. You know, growing up, you know, there, there was that saying, you know, those are good people. You know what I'm saying? Like, those are, those are people that you want to be around. And listen, I believe on that level there are good people, right, in that sense. But when it comes to the scrutiny of God, there are no good people. None of us. Jesus didn't die for any good people. He died for sinners. And so coming to this realization, you need to ask yourself a question. Is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? And it's a simple answer. Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you put your trust in Jesus? If it is yes, you can rejoice because guess what? That's covered. But you still got to worry about the works. Hello. All of us, right? Believers, believers are going to experience what? A judgment for our works. To see what we did. Was it for God's glory? What was the motivation of our hearts? That's what we're going to see. And you know what? Here's the thing. I want you to get this. This is great motivation because it motivates us to live not for the here and now but to live for the life to come, to live for the glory and the honor of God because the question is always, look, am I living to please myself or am I living to please the king? Am I living for my own glory or am I living for the glory of the one that sits upon a throne that I'm going to stand before one day and give an account for my life? Not worrying about, listen, if you are a believer, I'm not telling you you need to be worried about, you know, your name not being that's in, in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's not what I'm trying to say. If you are a believer, you need to be concerned. Listen, because the Bible does say this thing is 1st and 2nd Corinthians. The Bible talks about us escaping this judgment like just barely and making it through there and all of our works being consumed. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to go to heaven and, and have God tell me, man, Jason, um, you made it in, but all that other stuff, all those years, how many years you lived on this earth, none of it had eternal value. Do y'all want that? You want to go to him and be like, man, I lived my life and, and, and I was doing things, but none of it was for, for your glory. None of it had eternal value on it. No, you want to make sure that you're doing those things for his glory and his honor. We are all, we are, we are to live our lives in great hope of the future of no sorrow, no sin, no suffering, and great humility as we seek to be pleasing to the Lord, giving our lives to honor him as we look forward to our rewards. Listen, I want to see God reward each and every one of you that is sitting in this place, and I want to see you in, in that line and being able to go there, not with your head up in pride, but with confidence because you know you live for his glory. Amen? Amen. Second thing, repeat this after me. We need... The correct motivation for a life of gospel mission. We need the correct motivation for a life of gospel mission. Let's look at verses 11 through 15. It says this here. Paul says, Knowing therefore the terror or the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Verse 12. For we do not command ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. 
that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Amen. And so we see here what? He's talking about the right motivation. Two things that he talks about. The fear of the Lord and the love of Christ. The fear of the Lord. Because he knows the terror of the Lord. He knows the terror. Listen, it is a, it is a scary thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Are you here? Our God is an all-consuming fire, and Paul knows that. And he, and he wants to do two things. He wants to live a life of example. Hear me, my Christian brothers and sisters in here. He wants to live a life of example, and he wants to preach a message without compromise. Are you hearing me? He wants to live a life of example. He want, when, he, when he talks about them boasting, you know he says in here, he says some stuff that sounds kind of prideful, right? He's like, look, we're not commending ourselves again. We're giving you an opportunity to boast about us. It's like, hey, why don't you brag about me? That's what it sounds like, right? Well, because in, 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 out of the context, that's what it would be. But what he's saying here is, he's saying, look, I'm giving you an opportunity to defend us because we don't need to defend ourselves. We have lived a life of example because there were people in Corinth who were doing what? They were trying to say, Paul had this belief, Paul had that belief, the apostles were this and that, and so they were talking badly about them. And Paul is like, look, we're not trying to commend ourselves. We're simply letting you know who we are. We're reminding you of that. And so we as Christians, look, you know what we should do? We should be living a life. A lot of times we say this. And this, this has to be one of the dumbest things that we can say. And I know some of you are going to get offended. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else thinks. You should. You should care what other people think. And can I tell you something? Sometimes people aren't going to think that you're that nice. Hello. Because when you start to speak truth, truth, look, truth by itself. You don't need to be rude. You don't need to be a jerk. A jerk. Truth hurts all by itself. When you confront someone and you tell them, man, that lifestyle you're living is not right, guess what? You don't have to be mean to say that to make it hurt. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to yell at them. You don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to spit on them. Hello. Right? You don't, have to be, you don't have to be nasty about it. You simply say, man, that lifestyle you're living is just foul. Did that take the sting away? No. You just told them. They, now, they may walk away from you not realizing you told them off. Hello. Right? Not realize you just told him like, yo, you are you are in a bad place. But here's the thing. We need to realize that all we that, that we have to be those people who do care about what people think about us. Our testimony matters, right? The way that we live matters, and that's what Paul is saying. So we should be commendable. We should be recommendable. Like people should be able to see us and be like, man, that is a true woman of God. That is a true man of God. You know what? When they need prayer, they should want to come talk to you. Hello. Even though they didn't want to hear the message you had to preach to them, even though they didn't want to hear you tell them about their lifestyle, guess what? When they go through hardship, and they will, when they go through difficulty, and they will, you know who they should come to first? You. It shouldn't be like, oh, this is just someone that's just beating me over the head with the Bible, you know, all that stuff. No, no. This should be someone who has been living a life that is gospel-centered, a person who's living a life for the glory of God. And so we have to have the right motivation, right? We should care. And so the fear of the Lord is one of them. And then the other one is the love of God. We should care about what people are seeing in our lives. And we, we, we need to make sure that those things are foundational in our motivation. Our desire should be to live lives of example, approved by God and commendable or recommended before men, and to be unwavering in the true message of the gospel that one died for all and that in Christ we all have died. We should say, you know what, I want to live this life that brings glory and honor to God. And let me tell you something, I'm not talking about being perfect because none of us, no matter how hard we try, is going to be perfect. But listen, there is a difference between being imperfect and living a life of defeat. There is a difference between you being imperfect and you living a life that is subject to sin. God doesn't want us to live like that, and we shouldn't live like that because it says here what? It says one died, and we believe that what? If one died, then all died. And so that means that there is, a, there, is a, there is a reality that when I come to Christ, the death of Christ, right, I experience that same death. Um, um, Pastor Chad, he was saying it earlier, how we are no longer slaves to what? We're no longer slaves to sin because what? I died to sin when I gave my life to Christ. I united with him in death, and now I'm united with him in life. Hello. 
And so now we should be living this life because this is our new identity. See, the greatest issue for us when we talk about motivation is to overcome living for God with the wrong motivation. Like some of us live for God because we're led by guilt into hypocritical religion. Here's what I mean. We're guilty because of our sin. I just talked about a moment ago how God, you know, that you, there's no secret place. There's no private time. There's no place that you're away from the scrutiny of God's eyes, right? I said that. And so here's the truth. The truth is a lot of us feel bad about stuff that we do. And so you know what we do? We act like we're doing okay when we're not really doing okay. We act like we're living holy when we're not really living holy. That's hypocritical religion. Or another thing that we'll try to do is we will try to be obedient because we want to earn salvation or we want to earn God's favor. Hello. Well, I'm going to obey because you know what? I messed up six times, so I'm going to obey seven times. I'm, a, I'm going to do right so that way God looks at me with a smile. Listen to me. If you are a child of God, the smile is not because of how good you are, but because of how good Jesus was. That is constantly that, that, is, that is constantly to your account. Now, does that mean you cannot please the Lord? Listen, I've said this before. Paul is talking about being pleasing to the Lord. Pleasing the Lord doesn't mean that you earn something from him. It simply means you bring pleasure to him. It simply means that your actions bring pleasure to him. Your behavior brings pleasure. It honors him. It That's what it means to please him. That's what we live for, right? To bring him pleasure, not to earn something from him. It's kind of like, you know, your children... They come to you, and they all of a sudden are real nice. And y'all were kids, too, and you did this. Amen. You're just reaping what you sowed. Amen. They suddenly clean their room. They suddenly, do you need me to do anything else? you need me to do the dishes? Do you need me to do? Baby, what you want? How can I help you? Because it's about that. See, that, is, that, 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 that isn't really wanting to please your parents. That's wanting to get something from your parents. Are you here? But it's the same thing with the Lord. Like, I'm going to be real holy this week because I really need God to hear me. Like, you, you, like, like, you know, you, you, you try not to do stuff wrong. I mean, come on now. You try not to do stuff wrong, you know, on, on a norm, but it's not a big deal. But when you need something from God, hello. Come on now, let's, let, let's keep it real, right? You need to, listen, you are up at prayer time. You are on every 4.30 a.m. prayer call. God, I'm here. I am present and accounted for, Lord. You, a 12.30 call. Hey, hey guys, I, I'm not going to have lunch right now. I got to get on a call. 9.30, it doesn't matter that I'm going to be up at 4.30. I'm going to be on the 9.30 call. As a matter of fact, I'm going to stay up until 10.30, glory to God. Reading scripture because I'm so holy, Right? And it's because what? It's because we're trying to earn something from God. Can I tell you something? You should want to honor God at all times because of who he is and what he has done. That's the motivation. The fear of the Lord and the love of Christ should compel our actions, not because we want something from God. See, we should be grateful because of the gospel, and that should lead to joyful obedience. Third thing, say this with me. Say, we need to see others from God's perspective. Let's look at verse 16 through 17. It says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one. Say no one. We regard no one. That means nobody. That means the person you dislike the most, he is part of, she is part of, no one. They are not no one. They are part of no one here. Hello. All right. He said, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say anyone, anyone. is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The third point is we need to see others from God's perspective. The apostle Paul calls us to see others through spiritual lenses. No longer seeing just the physical realities in others, but the spiritual needs of others and God's meeting of those spiritual needs in Christ. What he calls us to do is he calls us to see, now listen, if we are going to reach others, if we're going to minister to them, if we're going to be the light that God calls us to be, we can't see people from the same perspectives as we used to. We have to see them through these spiritual lenses. We have to see them the way that Paul says to see them. And no longer do we, do we, do we, we regard anyone according to the flesh. 
I paused when I was reading it earlier because no longer is it about, you know, the way that I feel. Listen, there, there are people, I've said this before, there are people that get on my nerves. Hello. And there are people whose nerves I get on. Amen. And you too. You know, there's people that you can't stand and they just get on your last nerve. And can I tell you, I know you think you don't bother anyone, but you bother people. I know you think there is no way that anyone could be bothered by me. Listen, it's not true. You lied to yourself. There are some people, your smile annoys them. Hello. There are some people, the fact that you don't talk enough annoys them. There are some people, all these good attributes you think about yourself, it annoys them. They're like, I can't stand this guy. Right? But the, the reality is that that's just the truth, right? But, but here's what we need to do. We need to get beyond seeing people in a carnal sense, seeing people for the way they irritate us or, you know, the way that they get on our last nerve. You know, we need to start to see things from a spiritual perspective, see people from the way that God sees them. See, what we need to understand is that, look, there are real needs that people have, and as long as we see them based upon our little, you know, um, pictures of them and our thoughts of them, if we continue to see them based upon that we'll never see beyond that and be able to reach them with the gospel you're like there's some people you'd be like Man, i'm never gonna preach to them i don't want them to get saved i don't want them to come to my church you know like like that's how some people's mindsets are you see y'all are left but it's true like man god save them but take them to another church hello all right Lord, bring someone to preach to them to take them to their church because I'm, not, I'm just not doing that. That neighbor that you love so much, amen, they should be sitting next to you. You're like, nope, I don't want them to sit next to me. They live next to me. That's close enough. That's a carnal perspective, right? That's a carnal We need to see people from God's perspective. And that we can do what? We can see, okay, this person may be A, B, C, and D, but Jesus died for them. He made provision for them spiritually. And so as a church, we must repent of our carnal, superficial judgments that have hindered the mission of God through our lives and pray that we can see others from his perspective and lead them to see themselves as he does. It is not, hear me when I say this, it is not until we see others as God does that we will be able to help them see what he sees. It is not until we see others the way God does, that we will help them see what he sees. Listen, that goes for the positive, the saved, and the unsaved alike. Because here's the thing. If I don't see people the way that God sees them, how am I going to point them to what God sees? See, because there's some people, you know what they need to know? They need to know that they're loved. They need to know that they matter. They need to know that someone cares. They need to know that, listen, they may be separated from that love because of their sin. They may be separated from that love because of where they are, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. But some of us, we will, we will never get to that place with them. There are other people that, they're, listen, they're believers, and they need to be encouraged in their faith. They need to be built up in their faith. And you know what? Because there's a little thing about them that you can't stand. You'll never be that voice into their life. We can't, we, we can't regard people according to the flesh. And my fourth point, and this is the last point that I'll make, say this with me. We need to see ourselves from God's perspective. We already saw in verse 17, verse 17 says, therefore, and this is a memory verse that most of you should already know by heart if you don't. This is one that I think is in my arsenal whenever I'm feeling depressed, whenever I'm feeling discouraged, whenever my imperfections are getting the best of me. I remind myself in worship. I remind myself in that moment. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new, not some things. God gives me a new clean slate. I posted on Facebook something like, you may be broken beyond repair, but you're not broken beyond God's ability to make you a new creation. Listen, your life may not be something that you can put back together. I don't know where your situation is, but what I want you to know is that God is able to make all things new. He is able to make all things new. And so we understand, but we need to see ourselves from God's perspective. Let's keep reading here. He says in verse 18, he says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, let's pause for a moment because he says here, now all things are of God. What is he saying there? He's making it a point that all of our salvation is a sovereign work. It's not something that we conjured up. It's not something that we did. It's not something that we made manifest. It's something that God did. God is the one that saves us. God is the one in Christ Jesus who reconciles us to himself, right? It's God who does that. And we continue on reading here. He says there, 
In verse 18, he says, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so we find here that there's some serious words, right? There's this one big word that continues to jump out. See, we are new creations only because of the Father's will and work in sending his son to die in our place. We are only new creations because of the work of Jesus and and, and his sinless life and his sacrificial death on the cross and in his resurrection. And we are only new creations because of the present and ever present work of the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? That's the reason why we're new creations, because of the triune God that we serve, because of his plan because of his execution of the plan and because of his continual work inside of us but here's what I want you to understand there's a word in here and it is the word reconciliation and when you look at this in these verses 18 through 21 you're going to find that in these four verses the, the word reconciled or reconciling or reconciliation are used five times in these four verses that's a lot right when you think about it, there's, there's a lot of times we repeat the same word, the same word over and over again. And so this word matters to us, right? And so the word reconciliation, this is what it means. Reconciliation is the establishment of harmony and peace between enemies. It is the establishment of harmony and peace between enemies. And so now I've, I've read this definition before, but I wanted this to be up here because I know a lot of times when I read, you get lost. And so here's what I did. I didn't want to put it in the outline there. And it's easy to do that because you start reading and pausing and all that kind of stuff. This is what occurs. But I read this definition. Reconciliation is to reestablish proper, friendly, interpersonal relations after these have been dis- disrupted or broken. Now, here's what I want you to get. I want you to notice reconciliation has an R-E, which means again, right? Right, that's what that means, right? So when I do that, I put that there, it's to bring something back. And and, and notice that it says here, it is to restore or reestablish a proper, friendly, interpersonal relationship. Now, here's what I want you to get. In the Garden of Eden, this is what we're talking about. In the beginning, God created man for what? For relationship with himself. He created man for relationship with himself. He created man to be in this relationship with him. He created man to have this one-on-one intimate relationship. And then what happened was sin came in and broke it. So now you see this here. So the confidential features of this series of of meanings involves, first of all, disruption of friendly relations because of presumed or real provocation. And so what happens is in a relationship, That is fine. If you applied this to marriage, it would apply to marriage, right? Everything is good. You guys are standing on the altar. You said, I do. Nobody, hear me when I say this, nobody goes to the altar or, or, you know, to a justice of the peace or to a notary or someone saying, you know what? This is not going to work. I'm going to get divorced. Nobody does that. Hello. Whenever I'm sitting in marriage council with people that are ready to throw in the towel and ready to give up, I'm always like, let me ask you a question. You know, when you, when you got into this marriage, were you thinking on the altar when you made those vows? Like, hey, man, I'm done. I'm done in a few weeks. I'm done in a few months. Did you ever think like that was good? That's never on your mind, right? Because what? You got married because things were good. Hello, somebody. Right? But then there is a provocation. There's something that happens that causes distance, that causes separation, you know, in relationship with friends, in relationship, in business, you know, whatever the relation, usually these start on good terms, amen? And then what happens is there's this real provocation, but then overt behavior designed to remove hostility. And so notice this, man sinned, they did something to provoke God, and what does God do? God's response is, rather than judge you eternally, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my son to die for you, and I am going to, uh, I'm going to do something overtly, I'm going to do something that is huge in order to do what? In order to restore all things, and the fourth one there is restoration of original friendly relationship, to reconcile, to make things right with one another reconciliation and so what God does he says look in the beginning I created you for a relationship with me you all have sinned because you're all sinners by birth but you're not just sinners by birth you are all sinners by decision we all sin not because it wasn't just well I was born that way hello you make some decisions you know, it's kind of like the, 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 you know, the some people that they make the excuse well that's how my family is so that's how I am hey hold on a second you don't have to be like that 
You don't have to be that way. Well, that's how my dad was, so that's how I'm going to be. Why? Let me tell you something. It may be hard for you not to be like that, but I want you to know it is possible. I grew up, my grandfather, and, and I'm telling you, man, it's, it's, it, it amazes me. My grandfather, he was quiet. He was nasty. He didn't smile a lot. I still struggle to smile. When I say my grandfather was nasty, I don't want you to get it twisted. My grandfather was a loving, amazing man, but he wasn't, like, real approachable, you know. I, in, in my house, there were six of us. I was the oldest, and I was always telling my sister, hey, go ask. It's because, man, I was like, he's going to say no to me, but he might say yes to her, Right? And so ultimately, there's certain things that, you know, my grandfather was, you know, one of the things that there, there's a couple of things. One of them is I have struggled smiling a lot, you know, my, on the way to church today. My daughter's like, Dad, why are you so serious? I'm like, babe, I'm always serious. And she's like, why are you extra serious? I said, I don't know. I, I don't have any idea. I didn't know I was extra serious today, but I guess so. <laughs> Nonetheless, I was extra serious. And then the other thing that I struggle with is I struggle with watching one channel at a time. <laughs> Amen. I'm just saying pray for my family because they can't stand watching TV with me because I'm like, yeah, I know, but I can watch. There's a commercial here. Let's jump over here right quick, right? Anyway, it's terrible. But what I'm saying is I've learned, and I've come a long way. They can, they can attest to this. I'm not perfect at it. When I'm by myself, you know, I sit down. They'll leave me. Like, we're going to watch a movie, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to pick a movie, and they're like, okay, we're going to leave you for like 30 minutes, and then we'll come back. Because I'll sit there, and I'm like, okay, that's option one, and then I, da, 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 and I, that's option two. So anyway, ultimately, you know, there's some things that I'm working on. But here's what I want you to know is that you don't have to be that way. You can allow the Spirit of God to work in your heart to be what God has called you to be. But we decide to sin. Therefore, we are not just sinners by birth. We are sinners by decision. Here's what I said. We need to have the right perspective of ourselves. And here's what I want you to know. There's two people in this room. There are those who have put their faith in Jesus, right? And there are those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus. And if you have not put your faith in Jesus, I want you to see where you are. You are separated from God because of your sin. Separated from God means that you are on your way to hell. That is a sad reality, it is a, it, it is a, but it is nonetheless a reality. But here's the thing. The beauty of it is, is that Jesus did something as we looked at this definition of reconciliation. He died in our place so he could do what? So he could reconcile us to himself. So he could break down the hostility so you would no longer be his enemy and you could now be his child. But you have to, in order to, in order to come across that line, you have to put your faith, you have to put your trust in him. You can't keep it in yourself. You can't think, one day I'm going to be okay. No, today is the day of salvation. If you're not walking with him, today is the day to make that decision. But here's the thing, because it's not just about those who don't know Jesus. There are those of us who have put our faith in Christ. And here's what I want you to know, is that if you are in here and you put your faith in Christ right now, which I hope that you do if you have not already, if you do that, the Bible says you become a new creation. What I want you to know is the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you become a new creation. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's not in six months from now. It's not when you feel it. It is immediate. You become a new creation. But can I tell you something? The same way that you become a new creation, you also become a minister of reconciliation. It's a lot that happens real quick. Hello. I went from being God's enemy to being God's child. I'm a new creation, and now i got to go represent him. Yes and amen. Now you are his ambassador. Listen to me. If you're in here and you have your faith in Jesus, you are an ambassador. You are a minister of reconciliation. And we must recognize ourselves. Notice this. You must recognize yourself as God's agent of change who has been given a message of power to bring change to lives through that message. Here's what I want to close with. No longer can we allow the enemy to lie to us about who we are and what we are called to do. Hear me, church. We must be the light. The world is getting darker. Are you here? We must be the salt. Morality is decaying because the salt is not doing what it is supposed to be doing. We must be ministers of reconciliation. We cannot sit back and think someone else is going to do the job. The job is not for someone else to do. It is for us to do. It is us that is called to be these ministers of light. And so my closing question is this. What is it that is keeping you from reaching others? I gave you a bunch of excuses last week that people go through. 
Maybe you feel like you're not equipped. Listen, we can, we can help you get equipped. We can give you all the equipment that you need. Hello. So that's not an excuse. You can see Minister Ricky. He will help you out with that. You can see Pastor Chad. You can see myself. You can see any of the pastors, and we'll sit down with you, and we'll give you the easy Romans road, help you to show how to share your faith with someone. Keep it simple. You don't have to be some deep theologian and get out there and say, well, you know, in the beginning, God, you know, you know I get the meta-narrative of Scripture. All that, listen, all that's for, like, something else. All that's unnecessary. Maybe you feel like it's someone else's job. I don't know what the excuse is that is going on in your heart, but today I want to call you to action. You have been brought into a relationship with God. You have been reconciled to Christ because of what he did, and you have been sent, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what? To live a life on mission. Come on, stand to your feet and let us pray together. Bow your heads, please. Listen, if you're in this place and you heard this message and you know that God is calling you into a relationship with him, you know that today God says, I'm calling you. Put your faith in me. You know that God was speaking to you. Listen, I'm going to ask you to pray to him, to call right where you are. I'm going to ask you to call upon him and tell him, God, save me. God, I need your salvation. God, I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize I am separated from you. I recognize I am on my way to hell. I recognize that no matter how good I feel about myself, I will never be good enough to please you. And I thank you for your son. I thank you for Jesus I thank you for the sacrifice that was made for me. I thank you for that blood. And I ask you, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to serve you from this day forward. If you prayed that prayer today, or if you're going to pray that, call out to him and let his spirit fill you. Connect with the church. Get plugged in and begin to serve Christ as the king of glory. If you're in this place and you already know Jesus, but you know that God has been calling you since last week, you sense him calling you again this week, you know that he's communicating to you and he's calling you to step out of that comfort zone. He's calling you to be that minister of reconciliation. He's calling you to be that light. He's calling you to make a difference in the culture. He's calling you to impact lives and you've been um, cowering from that call. If that's you today, respond to him and surrender with all of your heart and say, God, here I am. God, here I am. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for each person in this place. I thank you for your word that is truth. I thank you for your spirit that has been here. I thank you for your presence that is moving in our midst. And Lord God, I pray today for the ones in here that don't know you. I pray for those, Lord God, who have not put their faith in you. I pray that they today would cry out to you, God. I pray that today would be the beginning of a relationship with you. I pray that today they would begin to serve you. I pray that today they would begin to seek you. I pray that today would be a day that they become your child, that they become your new creation, and that they become your minister of reconciliation, my God. I pray, Lord Jesus, for the ones that may be backslidden, the ones that are not walking with you but know about you, God. I pray that you would call them home today. I pray that you would draw them home today. I pray that they would recognize, dear God, that you are that good father that we see in the prodigal son running to his son, Lord God. That you are running to them, Lord God, with a relentless love and gracious uh, uh, grasp of them, my God. May they turn to you today. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters, my God, that may be struggling, my Lord, in their faith, that may be struggling to share it, that may be struggling to minister unto others. Lord, I ask you today that you would fill us with boldness, my God, that you would fill us with courage, my God, that we would be light, that we would be salt, that we would be ministers of reconciliation for your glory, for your honor, and for your name's sake, Lord God. And we pray this all, believing, and we thank you for this, in Jesus' name. Good, good name. Amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.